and welcome to You Heard It Here First, helping you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and I've got more great audiobooks, podcasts, plays, and more to recommend from the Audible site. Plus, we'll be hearing some of your reviews too, so get ready to find out all about your next listens. Let's kick things off with a featured customer review. Each week, I pick a review from the Audible website to find out what you've been rating. This week, our featured pick comes from Kira Adams. Kira left this review for Tina Fey's memoir, Bossy Pants. Hilarious. Tina Fey takes you on a whistle-stop tour through her life, growing up as a strange-looking child in a Greek neighbourhood, the utter depression of working on reception at YMCA, improv classes which led to terrible touring gigs with Second City, writing and later performing on Saturday Night Live, and her worldwide fame when she returned to SNL as Sarah Palin. At the end of it all, though, I don't think it matters if you even know who Tina Fey is. This book is hilarious and literally had me laughing out loud. Her performance is brilliant and I doubt it would be half as funny in the print book. Pure gold. Sounds great. Thanks, Kira. You can find Bossy Pants on Audible. And up next, it's time for our featured new release. I've chosen family fiction drama The Dutch House by Anne Patchett, which happens to be narrated by the legendary Tom Hanks. I was drawn to this audiobook because of the artwork, and also because of Tom Hanks, because let's face it, he's Tom Hanks and he's brilliant. But back to the artwork. It's a young brunette girl in the style of an oil painting. It's both eerie and inviting, which I guess sums up the whole book. So it opens with a backstory about the house. It's referred to as the Dutch house because of the architectural design, which sticks out like a sore thumb in the middle of Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. The book follows Danny and Maeve Conroy, who grew up in the Dutch house. It's told entirely through the narration of the main character, Danny, as an adult. We enter their lives as children and follow them into adulthood. And with that comes abandonment, new families, death and conflict, as well as some really touching moments between Danny and Maeve. A bit like this one. Maeve would come to New York City only if circumstances demanded it, say, when my appendix ruptured the first semester of my freshman year of college. I rode to Columbia Presbyterian with a hall proctor and an ambulance. When I woke up from surgery, Maeve was there asleep, her chair pulled next to the bed, her head on the mattress beside my arm. The dark mess of her hair spread out across me like a second blanket. I had no memory of calling her, but maybe someone else had. I was still floating in and out of the anesthesia, watching her dream, thinking, Maeve came to New York. Maeve hates coming to New York. I closed my eyes, and when I opened them again, she was sitting up in that same chair, holding my hand. There you are, she said, and smiled at me. How are you feeling? It would be years before I understood the very real danger of what had happened to me. At the time I saw the surgery as something between a nuisance and an embarrassment, I started to make a joke, but she was looking at me with such tenderness, I stopped myself. I'm okay, I said. My mouth was sticky and dry. Listen, she said, her voice quiet. It's me first, then you. Do you understand? I gave her a loopy smile, but she shook her head. Me first. 
This book really gripped me from the start. In the first half, it's filled with super rich and vivid descriptions of the house, which sounds absolutely spectacular. You get teased with tidbits about the family who lived there before the Conroys. The family, the Van Hubakes or the Van Hubeeks, there's a massive debate in the book about the pronunciation of their last name, by the way. They lost their wealth and had to give up the house. But their family portraits remain dotted all over the building, which I guess kind of inspired the cover. In hindsight, I'm not sure why their history comes up as much as it did, as it doesn't really add much to the story. I liked this book because I didn't find any of the characters that likeable, and that was disconcerting. The characters are all really flawed, but they come across as very human, and that made them way more relatable. Quite early on, we're introduced to Andrea. She becomes Danny and Maeve's stepmother, and they hate her from the very first meeting. Weirdly enough, I really enjoyed the focus on this relationship because their reaction to her seems entirely irrational, but also very believable. You quickly find yourself taking sides, and I chalk this up to Maeve. She really stands out as a character. She's this intense, outspoken, badass teenager who's not afraid to advocate for herself or her brother. But, and it's quite an important but, I was a little let down by the end of the book. By the end, Danny and Maeve have grown up and I just didn't think they were that engaging. Their choices were too ordinary and it meant that it wasn't as exciting as the beginning of the book. As well as this, there is one big moment towards the very end which feels a little predictable. And so it wasn't as rewarding once it landed. Also, everyone just seems so unhappy with their lives, despite being incredibly privileged. And that was slightly grating. All that being said, it's still a pretty good listen and Tom Hanks's voice is an absolute dream. Listen out for the special way he introduces each chapter. It's almost like a little, are you still with me moment? And that's a really nice touch. The Dutch House by Anne Patcher is available to download on Audible now. Now it's time for something a little bit spicy, because my hidden gem is the amazing podcast It Burns by Mark Fennell. I love the way this podcast starts, so I'm actually going to start this review with a clip from the beginning of the show. This man is Vic Klinko. He's in charge of the competition today, and in the manner of a puppy, Vic is really excited. This, this is a massive subculture. Every weekend, somewhere in the world, there is a chili festival just like this. And on YouTube, there are thousands of videos viewed millions of times of people blowing their brains out with these peppers. And that group of contestants over there huddled in the rain. They don't know what they're up against. They don't really realise how hot these peppers are. And then on top of that, you're putting level after level that capsaicin just keeps building up in their mouth, it's a lot more than any of them have ever realised and it hits them pretty quick. But this event, the thing we're standing in, is also the front line of a war. It's a fight that is waged for close to two decades. The intercontinental battle to breed the world's hottest, most brutal, chili. Yes, you heard Mark. This podcast is all about the fight to be the official grower of the hottest chilli pepper in the world. Now, at first, it might seem like an unbelievable concept for a podcast. And believe me, it really is. The story will serve you with scandals, death threats, cheating accusations and so much more. It's absolutely outrageous. You'd think you're listening to a salacious story about doping in the Olympics before you quickly remember they're talking about chilies. 
Mark is a huge lover of chilli himself, and he brings us on a journey from the Australian coast all the way to South Carolina as he delves into the world of chilli heads. When he first started working on It Burns, he thought it would be just a quirky story about some chilli farmers. But what he found was something much more intense, pun entirely unintended. From hardcore fans who take part in chilli eating competitions to growers with top secret farms, Mark explores why people seek out the pain or pleasure associated with eating some of the hottest chilies on earth. What surprised me most about this podcast is that it isn't just a simple story of some people who like to try and grow chilies in their back garden. Mark meets people who use the pain to define who they are. They aren't just fans, they're fanatics. This means I should probably warn you that this podcast contains some very adult content. There's sexual references, references to drugs and alcohol, and coarse language too. But if you don't mind all of that, you'll really enjoy it. The series is filled with humour and Mark is a great host. He brings touching anecdotes about his mum into the story and it helps you get to know him. I think the series is really well edited and the music helps add a layer of drama to what is already a shocking tale. But I won't lie, I'm never going to touch a super hot chilli. I think they've just taken it way too far. If you want to get your teeth stuck into this hot podcast, you can find It Burns, hosted by Mark Fennell on Audible. And when you heard it here first, I'm not the only one who will be recommending you some audio goodness. Joining me every week in the studio will be two editors from Audible to tell me about the books that they've been loving. And back in the studio is Harriet. Hi, Harriet. Hello. Thanks for coming back. So welcome. I love it when you're here. Like one of my favourite moments. I love being here too. Great. Can you tell us about the book you've chosen today? This time I have chosen Psychological by Dean Burnett. The reason I chose it is because, well, to be honest, I've been completely um, subsumed by it for the last six months because it is so good high praise (laughs) no it is truly truly incredible and I think what's really interesting and exciting about being an editor is that sometimes you have these huge projects with huge authors that you know are going to be massive and sometimes you have those ones that you love and you start working on them and then you realize that they are just even more than the sum of their parts and then everyone you share it with loves it and it's this kind of growing wave of enthusiasm. So what's it about? So Dean Barnett is a neuroscientist and he put together this idea about mental health and what's actually happening in your brain during mental health issues. And I think audio is a very natural medium Mm. for exploring those issues because it's so intimate and you have such a connection with the voice and the author when you're listening to audio. So it feels like a natural fit as a company. But then talking to Dean, I think he says, you know, a lot of discussion of it is very general and it's also a lot about you know the experiences and then also what you can do to feel better but there's very little understanding and that's what this book is it's Dean letting you in on what's happening in your brain so I really like Dean's writing style and Matt Addis who narrates the audiobook does a really great job of making it sound really clear and accessible but what also really adds to the audiobook is that there are loads of other voices from people who have experienced mental illness and they share their experiences with that. Can you tell us more about that? Mental health issues are obviously so personal and I think audio is so intimate. It's just you and the author 
And obviously, Dean, you know, he wanted to speak to a lot of people who had actually experienced the things that he was talking about. Yeah. So it wasn't just him kind of speaking for them. And we wanted to use those actual voices because there's a world of difference between an author saying, I spoke to Imriel and she said, yeah. blah, 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 to you suddenly talking to the listener. So Dean hasn't actually experienced any mental health issues, but I think he has a remarkable sensitivity to the nuances of that world and he talks about the wealth of opinions and also the shifting landscape of how we describe mental health and how we talk about it and how we support or communicate with people who have experienced any kind of mental health issue and he interviewed a lot of them and we wove those testimonies I suppose into the book itself. It kept it very engaging. I guess like Having listened to it, I was reasonably disappointed. Controversial opinion. Oh I was God. a little... I had high hopes, Harriet. Oh, my God. I was a little bit disappointed. Simply because I guess my background is in neuroscience and psychiatry oh, as a behavioural really? scientist. So I actually found it a bit too basic. Yeah. So okay. I'm wondering if actually this is made for just the general public who's just not kind of into self-help not into neuroscience just like they're just kind of coming at this fresh or is it meant to be for everyone the all-encompassing everyone it's kind of impossible to make it for everyone and I think it's really interesting that point because when we were talking about it with Dean you want it to be accessible to everyone we sort of understood that there may be some people who thought well you know, maybe I have a more sophisticated knowledge of exactly the subject matter. But we thought, you know, a lot of those people will be widely read in it and we want to make it right for the people who haven't read widely in this space. Yeah. You know, the people who really don't know anything and want that kind of entry point. Has this book made you more empathetic to people who experience mental illness or addiction or anything like that? You ask me this in every recording. I, I feel do. like you're making a point. <laughs> do you have empathy, Harriet? Are you will, an empathetic will human? anything teach you? <laughs> yeah, the, it really, it really actually did. And I think I'm the sort of person who wants to understand how something works. And I think reading this book so much made sense in the way that people I know have vocalised mental health issues, in the way that I have as well. Mm -hmm. It opened up what it actually was and I found it easier to understand it, I suppose. Thanks, Harriet. Thank you. If you like the sound of that, you can find Psychological on Audible. And hoping to equally impress us with their pick is Frances Erlem. Hey, Frances. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Not so bad. Brilliant. Great to have you back. Can you tell us what you've chosen for us today? So I've recently been listening to Kate Flanders' The Year of Less. Mm -hmm. It's a book about her personal journey in being a more mindful consumer. It's not a self-help book. It is definitely more of her journey and it's more of a kind of inspirational look at how you could become a more mindful consumer. So she basically sets herself a challenge, which I believe she's done before. She is mm -hmm. a financial copywriter and she's blogged about her journeys before in in getting out of debt and in losing weight and in stopping drinking mm -hmm. she set herself a challenge of not shopping for a year which sounds horrific to me does she eat food yeah so she's basically set a shopping ban for certain items okay. let's hear from kate and find out what was on her original shopping list the rules for the shopping ban seemed simple enough for the next year I wouldn't be allowed to buy new clothes, shoes, accessories, books, magazines, electronics, or anything for around the house. 
I could buy consumables, things like groceries, toiletries, and gas for my car. I could purchase anything I outlined on my approved shopping list, which was a handful of items I could look into the immediate future and know I would need soon. I could also replace something that broke or wore out if I absolutely had to, but only if I got rid of the original item. And I would still be allowed to go to restaurants on occasion, but I was not allowed to get takeout coffee, my biggest vice and something I was no longer comfortable spending $100 or more on each month. At the same time I decided I couldn't buy anything new, I also decided to get rid of everything old I didn't use. One glance in any corner of my apartment showed me I had more than I needed, and I didn't appreciate any of it. I wanted to start using what was already in my possession. I wanted to feel like everything had a purpose and that whatever I brought through my front door in the future would also have a purpose. If I couldn't do that, it had to go. Okay, so we've just heard from Kate. Frances, what would be on your shopping list that you would just not buy for a year or could not buy for a year? I think I'm very different from Kate. The way she talks in the book, I think she talks about having a uniform that she wears, whereas for me, clothes are really important and fashion is really important. And even though I personally have cut down on my new purchases of clothes, I still love going into a charity shop or buying something from eBay and having something fresh and exciting and new to wear. So I don't think I could go a year without buying clothes or shoes. Oh, well. <laughs> or bags. This sounds like exactly the things that should be on your list. <laughs> yeah, and I probably have a lot of those things already. Maybe those are the things that I should cut down on. But unlike Kate, I don't think I could go about it in the way that she's done her challenge. In stopping yourself from purchasing for a full year and not buying anything. Yeah. I think that's helped her on that journey, but she's done that for us. I don't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can take from what she's learned. And I think as well, the reason why this book resonated with me is because... I do have a lot of things, but I think that's less so about how much I purchase and more so that I keep things for a long time and I reuse them and I will try to make the best use out of them before yeah. I get rid of them. I don't like throwing things away. I hate waste. So it's a memoir. A lot of people in the reviews went into this thinking it was going to be self-help or I guess they were expecting to find out how they could live with less and they didn't get that. Did you had that same expectation and were you disappointed? I don't think I went in with that same expectation. I think probably what helped is that I had read articles about her. So I kind of heard about her and then when I saw the book, I didn't really read the description or the reviews. I just went into it and I think I got what I expected. And I think that it's not a how-to, it's not a self-help book in that way, but it's quite inspiring. She's learned about herself as well as learning how to be a more kind of mindful consumer. There were bits about the book that I didn't particularly like. Like what? She does come across a little bit moany and a little bit self-centred. <laughs> and that, I think, is having read the reviews, I can see how people feel like that as yeah. well. But it's a memoir. It's about you and your life. So you have to balance that up, I think. And she talks about things in the book around her family and stuff. 
that clearly has had an impact on her life. She talks about the relationships she has with her family. And I thought something really, really incredibly bad was going to happen. But actually, to her, you know, everyone's different. I think I took from that. Oh, so she had like a build up to what could have been a traumatic family moment for most people, but actually was probably slightly underwhelming. Yeah, I think it's also... um, She's a Canadian girl. She's got a Canadian accent, it's, which I found absolutely fine. Yeah. But I did have to speed it up a little bit. To, oh, to interesting. Keep, yeah. Uh, so I use the the 1.25 speed, or I think it is. It's a good choice, I think. It's a yes. happy medium between yeah, that just, and double speed. <laughs> yeah, just to speed it up a little bit to keep it more interesting. Cool. Besides her complaining... Does she deal with anything that the listeners need to be aware of? Although this is looking at a year in her life, she goes back to events that have shaped it. She talks about how she needed to stop drinking. There was a point in her life when she just stopped drinking and she talks about being sober for so many months and counting that out. She also um, talks about her having to go debt-free. She challenged herself to do that within, I think, it's either two years or 18 months, something along those lines. Oh, wow, that's um, ambitious. And she had a lot of debt. So she talks about things that have affected her and how she's come to this point. There are moments in there where you can see her and her vulnerability and stuff, mm-hmm. which helps you connect to her. Thanks, Francis. That was Francis's recommendation, The Year of Less by Kate Flanders. You can find it on the Audible website. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss the amazing reviews coming up in the next episode. And now it's time to hear from an author whose book you'll find on Audible. Every week on You Heard It Here First, we feature a clip from the Audible Sessions podcast. This week, I've chosen a clip from Lucy Worsley's session. She joined Holly Newston to talk about her fascination with Queen Victoria. There is such a popular culture interest in the monarchy in general, and we see this in TV programmes, in books. What do you think it is that makes the monarchy so continually fascinating? For me, it's the sort of car crash spectacle of human beings in pain. I mean, I feel for Queen Victoria to to live under those kind of pressures. If a handsome prince asked me to marry him tomorrow, I would say no. (laughs) (laughs) It just seems like a horrible, terrible, glamorous trap in which to live your life and to see them struggling with that and negotiating that is inherently dramatic, I feel. Mm. And what do you think about the portrayals we see of Victoria? So, for example, on ITV's um, Victoria starring Jenna Coleman. Mm. Well, that has been great because it has shown her not just like as the little potato-like old lady, you know, the little spherical, grumpy woman. People know now that, of course, she had this earlier life when she was passionate and she loved dancing and she was a figure of romance and glamour. But what I feel is missing from a lot of people's idea of her is how she gets from that position to being the potato. Mm. And what I wanted to do was try and link those gaps. So if you love Jenna Coleman and you come to my book, then great, I will take that and then I'll take you on a journey and I will get you to the end. I'm not sure what I loved more, Lucy's passion for Queen Victoria, the fact that she refers to her as a potato, or that wonderful line about declining a marriage proposal from a handsome prince because it's a horrible, terrible, glamorous trap. That made me laugh out loud. This is a brilliant interview for fans of the monarchy because you'll probably really enjoy it. So if that's piqued your interest about Queen Victoria, or if you want to hear more from Lucy Worsley, you can find her full Audible session and her audiobook, Queen Victoria, on Audible. And 
And finally, it's time to head to our genre corner. You've heard what we've had to say, but now it's time to hear from you. Each week, you send us your favourite audiobook, podcast or audio drama available on Audible. From erotica to action and adventure, we want to know what it is you cannot get enough of. This week's recommendation is a cracking bit of true crime from Sarah. Here's what she had to say. Hi, my name is Sarah Ozo and this is my review of Catch Me If You Can audiobook. The book is fantastic. It tells the story of one of the foremost con men in 1960s America, Frank W. Abnagel, how he was able to defraud many institutions of up to $2.5 million. Oh, my God. He pretended to be a pilot, a doctor, a teacher, even an attorney. The book just goes through his upbringing, the factors that led to him choosing the life of crime and why he chose to go into the life of high life crime, as I like to call it. If you've watched the film, there'll be no surprise about the book. But the wonderful thing about the audiobook is how Barrett Whitener, just his cadence, his tone, it feels like you are going on the journey with Frank W. Abnagel. It almost feels like you are participating in the crime. I think it is wonderful. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I love true crime. I love the Cray Twins. I, I Yes, yes, I love it. And this audiobook hits all the right spot for me. And I recommend everyone listen to it. Thanks, Sarah, for your review of this amazing caper. I want to get a taste of the high life crime with none of the consequences. It sounds brilliant. If that's hooked you like it hooked me, you can listen to Sarah's recommendation of Catch Me If You Can by Frank W. Abagnale on Audible. And that's all for this edition of You Heard It Here First. We hope you find an amazing new listen in our list of recommendations today. And remember, you can find everything we suggested on the Audible website or on the app. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Queen, presented by me, Imriel Morgan, and featuring Francis Erlem and Harriet Poland. It was produced by Ellie Clifford. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson, the production executive was Hayley Nathan, and the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.